You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash filmschool. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new film, Beeswax, our guest today, Andrew Bajalski, follows the personal and professional entanglements of twin sisters, Jeannie and Lauren, as they sort out their lives in Austin, Texas. Like his previous feature films, Funny, Ha Ha, and Mutual Appreciation, Bajalski's cast is made up of non-professional but carefully cast actors and filmed with a light fast-moving crew. Beeswax opens at the New Art in Los Angeles this Friday, August 21st. Andrew Brujalski, welcome to Film School. Thanks for having me. How are you today? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing real well. Now, this is Michigan I'm, I'm talking to right now. Yeah, I'm you? in Michigan at uh, a fam- my, my wife's family's property in Michigan. I've never been here before. I only got married recently, and oh. so I'm being inducted into the ways of, of the NYU. Wow. Congratulations on here. Congratulations. And how's it going so far? Marriage? Great. Yeah, that's good (laughs) to hear. Is is Michigan good? Are you out in the boonies or in a city right now? I have no idea. I'll tell you, there's a lake. I'm looking out the window. I see a lake. It's very pretty. Um, and I don't really know where we are. <laughs> <laughs> were you were you abducted? And, 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 and <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, you know, I fell asleep on the plane. And I and there you go. If you plane. weren't abducted, <laughs> don't answer this question. Very good. Yes, it. exactly. It's the yes. safe word. Okay, now. So is, is it hard working with twins? That would be my first question off the bat, because you have twin sisters who, who it, it, traditionally, I, I've always heard that twins, and I know if you have have uh, not only psychic but kind of relationship uh, uh, extraordinary uh, characteristics. And in, did you find that in working on this film with him? Uh, there were certainly surprises, and, you know, I don't, I don't have a twin myself, so I think, like, like most people who don't have twins, I'm fascinated by twins. Yeah. Um, and I think time and again I, I kept feeling like my assumptions about them were being proven wrong. Um, I, I, I think I had kind of assumed that, you know, we'd shot some stuff with them separately, and then when it came time for the first day shooting with them together, I had this magical fantasy in my head that, well, we're going to get the two of them together, and, it's, and the thing's really going to take off. And Because that's how they are in life, of course, you get the two twins together, and they both kind of light up. Huh. Um, but I hadn't really counted on the fact that uh, it was actually much harder to work with them together because they had a tendency to want to take care of each other and protect each other. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think that made them... You know, initially when we the first scene that we shot uh, with them together, it, it started going awfully, and we had to kind of work at un- unfreezing them and getting them back into the the same kind of the same kind of comfort and looseness that they could get separately. So that was that was one surprise among many. Yeah, no, I don't want to dwell on that. But when you say it was going awfully, were they just being protective of each other with your directing, or what was going on? Yeah, I think that you know to make a film like this, especially working with non-professional actors, the biggest the biggest job that I have is to get the actors to a place where they are in some way kind of in it for themselves. I mean, I, I, of course, you know, we're all, we're all working together to make the same film, but if the performance is really going to have energy and, and uh, vibrancy to it, then, then the people need to be, the actors need to be finding, finding something within themselves to, to push it forward. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, especially with, you know, the girls are, they're from they're from Atlanta, and uh, 
they're very they're very sweet and polite southern women so i think there was some tendency on their part to want to please me uh and i that that was the thing that i was most pushing away from with them was trying to get them to in their performances please themselves and that that was going to play better and translate better on screen mm-hmm. and uh and that was the kind of challenge that that redoubled when we got them together and i found them trying to uh trying to trying to protect each other yeah. as as actors and to to get them back to the place where they could really be open and alive to it on their own terms. Now, now you've done a, a series of films like this, and and you you're talking about them uh, doing doing the acting or, or projecting for themselves. Is there a technique you use as a director? Is there some way you get them to find that, or is there is everything just uh, different for each particular actor? I think everything's different for each actor, and each moment, and each you know each combination of elements is always going to present its own its own issues and challenges. Um, so w- it's kind of whatever it takes, you know, whatever it takes to get to get people to a place where they feel like it, it belongs to them. Um, I feel, you know, when I sit down to write a script, I kind of need to trick myself into thinking that I'm reinventing cinema. And I, I think I, I think I want to get the actors to the same place where they feel like they're they're inventing this role, as much as it may be preconceived, as much as we might be working toward the same goal together. It it has to. I think if it's gonna if it's gonna come to life, it needs to feel like the actors are inventing acting. Yes, and you were talking about writing the script, but I've got to tell you that everything just seems so natural in your films. Mm-hmm. It, it hardly feels like a script. It it just seems that people are just having conversations with each other. Um, how do you do that? <laughs> um, well, I think that's the I have a I tend to write in a in a fairly <laughs> meandering fashion. I, I think when I, I'm. I've learned more and more about myself that I am probably more an audio person than uh-huh. and, you know. I when, when you make the film, obviously it's a visual medium, but I think I begin from a place of really hearing voices in my head and trying to hear how that conversation would go. And it's kind of it's similar to acting where you put yourself in the character's shoes, but of course when you're writing, you're putting yourself in everybody's shoes and trying to figure out exactly what everybody's going to be saying at each moment and how those rhythms are going to play out in the room. So. I write in the style that that goes all over the place, and then you know, then as I write draft after draft, I'm I'm shaping that, and I'm trying to find, figure out the the scene, the scene, the structure around and within that. Um, but definitely, it has to feel it has to feel when the actors are performing it like, as you're saying, like it is just coming out of the moment, and um, and and I guess that's that that's really our prime directive on set is trying to get people to a place where they're going to be it, it's all going to seem like it's coming out of coming out of thin air and um that means sometimes that means pushing away from the script a little bit other times it means going back to the script but mm, trying to keep everything loose enough and not too too locked down that you begin to hear the i never want to hear the clacking of the typewriter when people are talking now now you you uh, what i read about the, the the film was that this was a fairly precise script was there much improvisation in in the in the final product well i think it takes place at a more microcosmic level i'm pretty much if you had the script in your lap and read along with it while you watched the film you'd certainly be able to follow along perfectly um but within that of course there are always changes and i sort of feel like acting in a way is 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 improvisation by nature Mm -hmm. even if you're even if you're performing shakespeare and you, you can't alter a single word, 
obviously there's still a million ways to perform that play. It's reactions, it's the movements, it's things like that. Is that what you're describing? Yeah, and uh, and of course sometimes that extends to, you know, to indeed to, to changing a few words around mm-hmm. or, or throwing in another line. And some of it comes out of the editing too, you know, mm-hmm. um, and just trying to keep the the rhythms feeling right. Sometimes I've a lot of times I feel like when I'm when I'm directing, I'm trying to cover up my mistakes as a writer, and when I'm editing, I'm trying to cover up my mistakes as a director. The, f- the film is Beeswax. The um, the, the um, director is Andrew Pajalski. Um, now you knew um, the you knew I'm going to say their Tilly real name, Hatcher. T- uh, yeah, Tilly Hatcher and and Maggie Hatcher for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Was there something in their relationship or something about your interaction with them that you saw a spark of a film or you saw something? an idea that this you said I I need to make a film with these two. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I mean, I'd known them for about al- almost 10 years when we shot the film. And I think from I met Maggie first. I went to college with her and she actually acted in a student film I did and pretty shortly after we wrapped that film I met her her twin sister Chil- Tilly and I, I just I found I found Maggie so immensely charming and then Tilly so immensely charming and then the two of them together are kind of supernova of charisma um, that I just, uh, it, it was in my head for a long time, especially after I made my first film with this new kind of sense of, well, I think I, I can do this. You know, I can, I can get away with um, making films and building them around people who, who, are, who are very interesting to me or who I, who I believe I can translate what's so charming about them in real life to something that will hold the screen. So that was definitely a, a fantasy project in the back of my head for, for quite a few years. One of the one of the strengths of this film to me is uh, the casting. Um, films like uh, films like this can be uh, thrown off their rhythm, their the way that they they come across by virtue of an uneven or an in uh, some sort of a, a performance that's is out of whack with the rest of the of the cast. Uh, but this film has all of the the elements of these people or the people that they're involved with, they're bouncing off of, uh, interacting with all seem to be very much a part of the same la- same landscape. Um, did you cast the film? Yeah, and it's all kind of trial and error because I'm looking for non-professional actors. That's a, that's a trick. Um, if you, you know, I got to town, I got to Austin where we were shooting this, and at that point, the, of course, the whole thing had been written around the twins, and uh, a couple other roles had been filled in, but most of them were were still wide open. And so to get into town and say, you know, start asking around to people, say, well, I'm looking for somebody who's kind of has these qualities and this sort of look and, and presents this sort of vibe, and I need somebody who's who would be a really good actor but who has no interest in acting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so today, are these all Austin natives, more or less? Uh, most of the cast, yeah. I think, there, I think there are five people we brought to town, including the girls. And uh, and everybody else were people who who were living in Austin. Now I've seen Kareen in something else. Uh, is that am I crazy? You, I don't know if you're crazy. You're you're not <laughs> the, the first person to say that, but I don't know what you would have huh. seen her in. Okay, well I'll do my AMDB search. So after I just thought she looks very familiar. From uh, she may okay. Yeah. I think I think she has that quality. Yeah. Now, now in in uh, setting up this cast, that when you said you were uh, looking for people. Who didn't want to come become actors is is that this is that helpful? Well, it's helpful for for these films, I think, and, and particularly to have everybody kind of on the same page. And it's not it's not a hard and fast rule. Um, I don't, you know, I did in fact see a few um, more 
more established actors during the casting process. I didn't want to rule it out entirely, but my my gut and my inclination always seems to be towards the the people who are really who have chosen to do something else with their lives. I think because I think what I tend to want to resist in an actor's training is um, the actor. I think actors are taught to to clarify. I think a big part of their job is to is to get on screen and to deliver something uh, very clear and very direct, so the audience knows exactly where they are at a given moment. Um, and certainly, for most kind of films, um, when that's done right, it's remarkably effective. And I have I have all the the love and respect in the world for for great actors. Um, but I think that the kind of stories that I've been telling, the kind of films I've been making, requires requires the characters to be figuring out the scenes as they go through them. And it seemed like a, a, a better and more organic and uh, more effective way to do that would be to work with people who are also, you know, on, on unsure footing as performers. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what would be then the effect on the audience that you're going for? Uh, in, in that, you know, they're, it seems a little bit untethered to me that that you're you're trying to make the audience not feel that they're in a specific spot within right. the within the script or within anything really. Well, it you know it's a it's a very specific spot. It's just not always clear what the what the meaning of that spot is. I mean, the, okay. the films are are wildly open to interpretation. I think specificity is very important because I don't want to make films that are just um, completely completely adrift. Uh-huh. Um, so we do. And these actors, as much as I'm saying that they, you know, they're unsure footing as performers, I think they're still. The film only works if they give really good performances, and these need to be people. I'm not casting people for their, for their naivete or to watch them flail. That's not what these movies are about. Yeah. Um, so I do think they're giving everybody in the film. I, I think gives remarkable performances, um, but I would put up against, you know, any professional performance. But. Um, but what the characters are going through is this kind of is this kind of uncertainty and this kind of trying to just trying to feel out the the progression of the scenes themselves as as they live through it. So I wanted that I'm I'm always resisting telling the audience what the scene is about or what the movie is about because I, I want to make something that's solid enough that that anybody who sits in that room when the lights go down can bounce their own their own experiences and their own lives off of the film and hopefully get something rewarding out of that um, and, and then get a unique experience. That's my dream, and that's what makes part of these... That's part of what makes the film so difficult to craft is that if you're making a thriller and you know you want everybody to scream at the same moment, and if you're making slapstick comedy, you know you want everybody to bust out laughing at the same point, but if you're making a film where your, your fondest ambition for it is that everybody has their own unique experience of it, um, it's a it's a yeah. challenge to to craft hundreds of unique experiences simultaneously. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, having just said that, and I, Nathan did give a brief description at the top of the uh, interview, we should give some broad overview as to what the film's about. Uh, hmm. It's a. You think? Well, yeah, I think it gives some sense of the of the. You know, I I have a question, and and it 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 relates to that. One of the 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 driving plot lines of it is is a lawsuit or a potential lawsuit. Mm -hmm. Um, Is is that did you intend to write that in from from the beginning? Uh, And is that something that you relate to personally? Is this a little 
uh, autobiographical in that sense. Um, it's the it's the autobiography of of an anxiety. It's not I've, <laughs> you know I have not been I'm not good. I have not yet uh, experienced a, a lawsuit like that. But uh, certainly it's a it's a fear I have every time I have to sign a legal document. I I tense up because I always feel like the it, you know the the language of the law does not necessarily ever truly represent human beings' intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, you you always sign something in in good faith. And then the fear is always, well, what happens if good faith goes bad? So this this movie somehow was about um, exploring that kind of that kind of fear and anxiety. And I think it made a lot of sense to me because I knew I wanted to write something for twin sisters. So you know, the first place you go from there is, well, then inevitably we're making a movie about family. Um, and I like the idea of making a movie about family with the narrative the narrative drive coming from coming from this, this fear of being sued, which is, you know, this way of relating where that, that's so contrary to the way that families resolve problems. You know, families are stuck with each other, and you kind of, you have to get through it, and you have to get through it on a, in, a, in an emotional fashion, no matter how functionally or dysfunctionally your family may do that. Um, and the law, or, or, you know, good faith gone bad, is all about coming to a place where you try to take you, you claim that you're taking emotion out of the equation, and we're just going to look at this coldly and rationally, and we're going to we're going to see what the document says, and a judge will determine this. And uh, it's this horribly uncomfortable place to be, I think, um, because you you're you've gone somewhere where your your intentions or what you thought you were doing as a human being when you signed that document was, is no longer really relevant. Um, and so you know, I'm I was putting family against the, the breakdown of family, and these two partners in the film who are talking about suing each other um, are, you know, they've obviously built a small business up from from the ground uh, as friends, and there's a kind of family relationship there that's yeah. assembled. It, it's, it's um, to me, when I think about the film, obviously that's, in a, that's a thread, an important story uh, line in the film, but uh, for me it's the relationship between the two, uh, the twins, and uh, my... I don't, I'm not giving anything away here, but there is a scene uh, in which um, they're, um, I'm going to say, uh, Jeannie, Jeannie uh, wants to create a an ad for uh, for the store. So they go out on a little photo shoot, the, t- the two sisters. And I, I just think that scene um, is beautiful. It's well sh- obviously well shot, but just the relationship, them talking, her posing for the photos. And, and it's just, uh, to me, that's when I think of the film, I think of, uh, of those of that relationship and of the, the uh, particularly of that scene to, of those together. So did that take a while to shoot? Yeah, uh, that was that was an afternoon. I think we were shooting in in Austin in uh, in the summer and shooting in Texas in the summer. Obviously, is incredibly hot, and we were both lucky and unlucky in as much as it it rained a lot that summer. So that cooled it down a little bit, but it also meant uh, you know we kept having to delay that shoot because the field we were going to was completely mud. Um, and finally, we went out there one day, and we kind of at the last minute we moved our location to a slightly less muddy area. So there was a, it, which was good, I think. I mean, the day ultimately had this feel of a great kind of stumbling into, stumbling into an improvisation as to where we were shooting, and, and the girls, I think, were very, in a, in a very loose space and uh, very, very natural. And the interaction between the two of them in that scene is just very natural. Very, uh, it's of two, two sisters. 
and uh, in in the way that they 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 interact together. I think I think the mud brought out the naturalness. Yeah, maybe right. so. Yeah. Maybe it's, so. We're it's sp- certainly the most romantic sort of scene. Yeah. yeah. We're speaking with Andrew Pajalski. The film is Beeswax. Speaking of the technical side of this, I think we need to discuss a little bit. And let's, well, I was just going to uh, jump in, too, about that, that scene. Uh, what we failed to mention is that one of the, the twins is confined to a wheelchair. Uh, and, and this is, hey, how did that play? I mean, one of the twins is confined to a wheelchair in real life, too. How did that play into this? Did you, did you have fun writing? Uh, you know, fun, I don't know is the right word, but did you, was it interesting uh, mapping out the the uh, the scenes considering you had a wheelchair to deal with yeah sure it, it it was a it was a great kind of um restraint on on it 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 has a huge effect on how you do everything in the film i mean it's, yeah. you know the the chair affects the where the camera is placed in about 75% of the shots um and of course uh, because Tilly uses the chair in her real life we had this great she was the ultimate technical advisor, yeah. um, and we could always say, whenever we got to a location, we could say, okay, so how would you, how, how would you take this curb? How would you go around this corner? Yeah. And that was hugely helpful and hugely helpful in terms of structuring the scenes. It was kind of nice in a way to, uh, to have that restriction on us yeah. uh, visually and, and begin to build the film visually around how the chair moved. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed some of her sharp turns. Mm-hmm. And oh, it was geez. it was also masterful. yeah also fun uh, when uh, Meryl got to sit in. It yeah, for a while. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. when when yeah. the boyfriend yeah takes yep. sits in the chair and his sort of uh, there's something that. about the, there's something very intimate and familiar and in in, a, in the best possible way that the way that they were they were interacting in those things. Yeah, yeah, now, and that was that was part of our rehearsal process going into it was uh, making sure that Alex who played Meryl got some. Got some good quality time with the chair because he had to, you know, as somebody who was supposed to, he was playing an, an ex-boyfriend of hers. He, he should know that thing inside and out. So we we would run drills with him putting it together and taking it apart again, and mm-hmm. uh, and he practiced he practiced the wheelies. We all worked on the wheelies. <laughs> the wheelies are fun, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to I do want to get back to because this was a film that was shot on 16 millimeter. Mm-hmm. You really did this. Uh, this is such an overused phrase. Well, you just did this old school. We really, you <laughs> shot it on 16, blew it up to 35 for the theatrical release. Yeah. And you did the editing on the old style, am I correct, in the old style, uh, old? Steenbeck. Yeah. yeah, there yeah. you go. Did, well, do why? you enjoy that process? <laughs> 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 I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm insane, I think. I'm, I'm a curmudgeon. Is, is there something about the organic feel of putting a film together that way? Is it part yeah, of it? Absolutely. I mean, it has everything to do with my... You know, I was a movie-obsessed kid, and uh, I just, when I got old enough to be able to, to touch real film, I, I, I was in love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still feel that way. You know, of course, I was, I'm probably, if I were probably just a couple of years younger, I would have missed out on touching film at all, but I was maybe the last generation to go through. I, I studied film as an undergrad, and we had all that old-school training. We shot on 16, we shot on Steenbeck. So that was what I was used to, and I've never quite wanted to let go of it just because I because I love I love the look and the feel and I've worked with video and I it's harder for me to fall in love with that that said you know my life has certainly changed since I was editing the first film and I'm I didn't used to have any envy of the convenience of video and now the older I get and the more pressed for time I feel I, it does <laughs> I'm I, I'm drifting more towards being interested on cutting on video just to make it go faster yeah yeah, are you are you planning on any uh, video 
feature-length film? Oh, I have all kinds of fantasies, but I don't know what, will, what if any, will come to fruition. Yeah. Right now, I mean, it's, it's the first time I've really... After I finished my first two films, I knew what the next one was, and I was already working towards them. Um, and this is the first time that I've finished something and not quite known what the next thing is. I have yeah. a half a dozen ideas, and uh, I, need to, I need to commit to one. If you were shooting in, in uh, video... Do you think you'd make that apparent in in the cuts and the way the film looked, or do you think you'd try and <laughs> this is all speculation and what ifs? But right. would you would you want to make it look like a sixteen millimeter? It depends on the project. I mean, I think you always want to be sensitive to the medium you're working in. So I think the greatest danger is to um, is to ignore the the reality of of the look of what you got. You know, I think if you if you're working in video and want it to look like sixteen, and you're putting on funny filters to put on fake scratches. I think you just have to try to really take into account how how real those fake yeah. scratches look. Um, but I certainly, you know, one of my fantasies is to do a project on really, really old school looking video, like old old 1960s tube cameras. Yeah. Um, who knows? Well, good luck on that. That, nice. that works <laughs> out. Uh, now, speaking of that, going back, uh -huh. looking back, um, this is a little cliched, but what are some of the filmmakers that, uh, as you fell in love with uh, films and filmmaking, who who do you kind of touchstone people for you? Oh, it's a it's a it's a it's a question I get asked a lot. And yeah. I'm always kind of blank out. On I it. do the same thing when people ask me who are my favorite directors, and I do the same thing. I just suddenly I can't remember anybody. I think that's a good sign. Yeah. Well, I, I think, yeah, there are too many, and you know, yeah. you're afraid yeah. you're going to say the wrong one. I mean. Yeah. It's, of all, of all the of all the questions I can get wrong in an interview, that's what I know. I'm sorry. I, I I withdraw the question. And the, will the <laughs> Thank court you. court forgive me for that yes. question, please? Uh, well, it, it's a terrific film. Uh, it's opening in Los Angeles at uh, I just blanked out New, New Art Theater mm -hmm. here this Friday. Uh, it's Beeswax, um, and Andrew Pachalski is the film director and. Uh, Editor and everything, writer. and writer and everything else on it. A, a fine job. Congratulations. Congratulations. And all, all the success to you on this and in the future. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for having me. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash film school.